0: Good morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we are grateful for this morning. We thank you for who you are, for your love, for your commitment to us. Thank you for keeping us, for the privilege of coming to your presence. For what you are able to do. Lord, we thank you for how you've helped us from uh, the Sunday school this morning and uh, the worship and how you brought us to this moment. We ask our Father that you will grant light to our hearts, that your word will have, uh, according as it is written, that your word will not leave you and return to you void but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. That this morning, the word of God will accomplish the purpose for which you intended. We thank you for answering our prayers. We pray for your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Um, it's good to be with you again. I trust you are doing, you are doing well. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so many reasons why people are in different forms of distress these days. Um, so many reasons. But the Bible says that blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. Hmm? It says, if only in this world we have hope. Then we are of all men most miserable if our hope ends here. Hmm? If we don't have hope beyond this place, he says we are of all men. All men. And you wonder why did he say of all men? You see, the reason is that you have left the way of the world. Okay? Had you pursued that path, probably you might be wicked but you would have attained what wicked people attain, isn't it? If you had pursued that path, you might have done a lot of evil things, but your evil probably would have reaped you some reward. But you decided you were not going to, you won't go that way. You wanted to go the way of the Lord. If after making that decision, you do not get what God promised you, the Bible then says, you are of all men most miserable you see because you have lost at both ends right you didn't gain here you didn't gain here but i trust God that we don't have such misery that we have hope beyond this place that whereas a lot of people are bothered about what will happen from the very small issues of the challenges of our own life to what you might consider the grand issues. Is China going to invade Taiwan? (laughs) And if China invades Taiwan, will the U.S. intervene? Are we going to another war? Hmm? From the very minute issues to those grand issues that bother people, the Bible says, blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. I know as we're singing, one of the stanzas says that that this whole world we met like the snow, isn't it? It will. It will. But that God is forever ours. Our inheritance is the Lord. Once Abraham was really, really conflicted, God had made him great promises. God promised Abraham. If you look at the story of Abraham, in fact, God promised him that he was going to inherit the land, that he would bless him, he will multiply his seed. All right. Abraham took to that promise and left home. Here he was, 100 years, nothing seemed to be happening. And in Genesis chapter 17, God came to him and said, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And in response to that, Abraham said to the Lord, What will you give me, seeing that I have no child? And this Eliezer, this servant, is going to inherit me. With man, there is always the question of what will you give me? What will you give me? But God was trying to turn his attention to say, "Abraham, I myself, I am your reward. Hmm? I myself, not a child, not anything you can have, not anything you can see. I myself, the almighty God, I am your reward. I am your inheritance. Hmm? And you know, that of all that anyone can inherit, to inherit God is the greatest, isn't it? You never lose that. It never rots away. It will never fail. Any other inheritance will fail. So, in your life, whether you are concerned about the challenges that you face as an individual, or you worry about the world, which I will encourage you not to worry about. hmm? The Bible says, blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. Hmm? Our God is not somebody we are not sure of. It's not the God of the Hindu. They can't make up their mind which which it is. They have thousands of them. Ours is not like that. There is a definiteness about it. And there are guarantees that he has given to us. Okay? So I pray for you like I did the other time, that you will be filled with peace and that you will enjoy the grace of God. The Bible says that the peace of God passes all understanding. And at different levels of life, I'm challenged at my level, you are challenged at your level. As you grow old, I can imagine that there are different things you begin to think about. Hmm? There are challenges of age, right? Right? There are things that are beginning to come into your mind that were not there before. But in all of these things, it is written that we are more than conquerors. So again, I pray that you will enjoy the peace of God and that you will always live in his grace. Okay? So this morning, I'm going to point a few issues to us from the word of God. My desire is, and I don't know whether that is possible, if the people who are recording will allow us, that we will get some people to read from the congregation. Okay, I don't just want to be teaching. I want, I want you to participate. Okay, so I'm going to ask some people to read for us. Um, yes, so unfortunately, uh, I don't know, they won't be able to capture your voice in the recording, but I think we should do that. Okay. You have to just try hard to project. So we'll read Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And as usual, each time I come, I don't have a title for my message. <laughs> we'll give it a title. Okay. So Luke chapter 24. And it's a long reading, but I, I really want us to read it together. So... Uh, Uh, We'll start from verse 1. So I will have someone on this side. uh, Read from verse 1 to 12. Then on on this side of the auditorium, read from verse 13 to, um, let's say, 13 to 20. Then I will finish. So can we have someone read from verse 1 to 12 for us? As loud as possible as you can. Luke chapter 24 from verse 1 to verse 12. From here. All right,
1: sir?
0: Yeah, we're listening.
1: But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened.
0: Thank you. So we start from verse 13 on this side, 13 to 20. All right.
2: On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And they said to, and he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be contem- condemned to death and crucified him. Thank you.
0: But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Ye and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which had said, that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre, and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour. And returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And had appeared to Simon, and they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Praise the Lord. Now, Christianity ought to be alive. Okay? Okay? Now, as I went through this reading, the first thing that comes to my mind, the first thing that strikes me is the commitment of God to his disciples. And we'll talk about that. You see, the Bible says they were on their way to Emmaus. You would have thought that this Cleopas and his colleague were not significant in the scheme of things. But the risen Christ will still join them. I mean, if it was Peter and James and John, you would say, oh, probably this were the top people. Okay. We didn't even know anything about this Cleopas during the ministry of Christ. But we see that even these people taking a journey that God saw that this is not good, taking a journey that will lead them out of God's will, the reason Christ, who probably was very, very engaged with the things he had to do, I don't know what things they were he will leave all that he had to do to join himself with them right and to make sure that although they have taken this part they find restoration that, that's something we come to god's commitment to us how god is utterly committed to us to making sure that we succeed okay but Uh, The first thing I want to say is that, you see, Christianity ought to be this life. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said that the, the, the letter profits nothing. That it is the spirit that gives life. And that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Okay. Christianity ought to be an excitement, a continuous feast, a joy. Christians like joseph are supposed to be engaged in fixing economies right you know joseph fixed the economy of the greatest power in the world eh? involved in i'm not saying they should be partisan but at least they, they direct politics you remember the story of daniel several years after nebuchadnezzar there was this king called Belshazzar who became foolish and was doing all sorts of things. and one day he saw the handwriting on the wall, and the, you know I, I used to imagine it in my mind. The Bible says his knees collapsed <laughs> You know you can imagine the fear, and his, the, the, the queen mother told him, "You don't need to be afraid. there is a man in this kingdom called Daniel."
2: Hmm?
0: In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Christians are supposed to determine the, what happens. they are supposed to set the agenda. Matthew 18 verse 18 the Bible says whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven whatever you lose on the earth whatever you allow that is what happens anything you disallow will not happen okay now that is what we've been called to Now there are several people who are supposed to have victory in our personal life look at the story of Job yes he faced challenges look at Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego but they experienced personal victory that led to a great revival. Up till this moment, we are reading their story. We are talking about Job. We are talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the experiences of the people that went before us. And I could mention several other examples. Okay. Look at Paul. Through all that he suffered. Look at the disciples. One day, Peter stood and preached after Pentecost. And the Bible says at his message, 3,000 people were saved that day. He didn't have a microphone. Did they have a microphone? Then you think Peter used a microphone? I don't think he did. There was no microphone. There was no PA. There was no, nothing was organized. It was sudden. And Peter preached and 3,000 people came to Christ. Just one message. Today, We do all sort of organization, right? We have cathedrals that are made of glass. All right? We are are concerned about the public address system. We we are concerned about, you know, uh, churches that everybody has a, a workstation in front of him with thousands of versions of the Bible just at your fingertips. But you see that the result we are getting doesn't compare with people who, who just preach without a microphone, without any organization. There were no ushers in the meeting, no protocol officers. right? There were no all these categories of pastors that we, have, we, are, we, are, we are claiming today. Youth pastor, children pastor, music pastor, protocol pastor. Nothing. And this man stood and 3,000 people. It was like that. That that is our heritage, isn't it? These were the people who handed over the faith to us. But what is our situation today? You know, uh, one thing that surprised me about the advanced economies like yours is that you can buy something and return it. Where I come from, when you buy something, you are stuck with it. (laughs) You know, you buy something, you say, oh, this is not what I expected. Well, bad luck. There's nothing you can do. But here, I mean, I got a jacket. I, I didn't like what I saw when I got home. I took it back. They gladly accepted it. Then when it was time to try it, I saw, oh, this is a little bit bigger than me. I took it back again. They accepted it. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it is only Christians that accept things and they don't get what they are promised and they don't ask further questions. Hmm? When you came to Christ, there were promises He made to you. Mm-hmm. Haven't lived in Him for this many years, and you have not gotten those promises. How comes you are not asking questions? You remember there was a man who was asking such questions, Gideon, in the Bible. When the angel appeared to him, he says, "Where are the miracles that our fathers told us about?" The angel said to him. Oh, you mighty man of value. if I was mighty. What what am I doing here? Trashing wheat. Right? We have a heritage. What is it that has made our God to look as if he is very, very weak? What is it that has made our God to look as if to say we have to campaign for someone if we have to bring a change? As if to say our God is limited by politics. What is it hmm, that has made our experience to look more academic? If you didn't get value for what you bought, shouldn't you question it? Should you not question it? If as Christians, our lives are not changing as the word of God promised, should we not ask questions. She will not say, why am I like this? You know, there was another woman in the Bible, uh, the wife of... Um, I think Jacob. No, 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 Isaac. Yes. The mother of Jacob. The she was barren. She was barren. And the Bible says the husband prayed. And then she conceived. And she had these great promises. But the Bible says the children were battling within her. And she asked a question. She said if it was this, if it is great, all the, if if it is all these things that God has promised me, why am I like this? What is happening? And what I want to bring to your attention, what I want to begin to make you to think about is that question. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? In spite of the great promises, in spite of this, the claim that I'm connected to the almighty God. Right? Why am I defeated? I'm not saying you are. Why can't I overcome sin? Why am I not experiencing victory? Why am I not able to bring about change, at least in my sphere of influence? That is what I want you to begin to think about. And we will not be the first people to have these problems. Now, if you look at Psalms chapter 74, I think I will continue the reading from here. Psalm 74, verse 9. It says, we see not our signs. That's David now proclaiming. We see not our signs. And I think one of the prophets also said this. Jeremiah, I think we see not our signs. There are things that we are supposed to see. There are things about us. There are things about the church. There is an impact. You know, when the church started, you could paint them as evil, but you cannot neglect them. Right? You could see all manner of things about Peter and James and John and those people, but you definitely cannot neglect them. They had great impact. You know, I was looking at a video of, I think, Kensington, Philadelphia, the other day. And on the streets, on the streets, there were people drugged. Oh my God. The whole place was messed up. People who couldn't they, they could not even they couldn't stand straight. waving like trees, human beings, creatures of God. And you will think that the church has been in this city for years. Hmm? I'm told that maybe thirty percent or maybe thirty million American youth Use drugs. And you might be sitting thinking that it is government that is going to solve that problem. You might be thinking that, yes, why is the government not doing anything? Why are they not blocking the southern border? All these drugs are coming in from the southern border. You are becoming a politician. Does it concern you? that the church has been in this nation for years and we degenerated to where we are? Does it bother you? That we have no longer, we don't have any impact on our environment. What church is it? What is the use of the church on the earth if we cannot influence our environment? What has made us to seem very, very important? And I'm sorry if this disturbs you. You know because I know that people like to have their peace. People don't like being disturbed. And that is the reason they don't make anything. There was a community like that. The Bible called them Laish in the book of Judges. The children of um the, it was a tribe of Daniel, I think. Several years after they had settled in the promised land, the Bible says They had not gotten their own inheritance. So they were seeking for an inheritance. And then they found a people who, according to them, were affiliated to no one, and nobody was affiliated to them. They were were at ease. And that was how they were conquered. If you remember the story, hmm, these people were just at ease. And I know that people like to be at ease. But you see, we have not been called to be at ease. One of the things that has made us important is the desire to be at ease to live an easy life to enjoy ourselves to have everything at our beck and call to have no trouble whatsoever nothing is agitating you that's the reason we lost the battle there is no man and i don't think there's any country more experienced than yours there is no man that is in a war that lives at ease I don't think whether there is, I don't know whether there are ex servicemen here to, 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 to tell us. or there are. Whether if you are at war, you are at ease. I don't think there's anything like that. It is the fact that we lost sight that the church is at war. That brought us to this level where we no longer has we no longer have any influence and our God seems as though He cannot change anything. Where we do not have personal victories. Hmm? Where we face challenges, but we think it's fine. There's nothing we can do about it. Our fathers that went before us, when they faced similar challenges, they took it up. In fact, there was someone who was told he was going to die. And he said, no, I'm not going to die. You know Hezekiah? He said, I'm not going to die. Whether that was right or not is not what I'm talking about. But he said, I wasn't going to die. Did he die? He did not die. They took God at his word. They knew that either God is a liar or I'm going to prove what he said. They were concerned for the lives of the people around them. You know, some Christians are wondering what they should pray about. How can you wonder what you should pray about? Where you live in a nation, where your eight-year-olds are transitioning. How can you wonder about that? Eight-year-olds are transitioning and I see Christians engage in it as if it's a social matter. You think it's a social matter? You think we are going to win it by getting slots on the news? You think appearance on Fox News or CNN will make us win this battle? No, it will not. It will not. It was one of the prophets that says to the women of Zion that he says you should cry, you should weep for your children. Hmm? Go and hold on to the horns of the altar if you want to bring about the change. And you might think it doesn't concern you. It does. It does. Yesterday we went out on evangelism in my, in my area and we're going from door to door preaching. And we went to a house and met a lady who said that a child in middle school committed suicide. You know, what concerned me was not actually the news that a child committed suicide. It was the thought of how did he know what to do? How does a child in middle school know how to kill himself? I mean, I've been a child before and I'm sure I've gone through the same distress. It never occurred to me that I can kill myself. It never occurred to me, of all things that you can think of. But now a child of middle school knows how to kill himself. And my colleagues say, well, it's social media. And we have the church. The Bible says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. Isn't it? I don't want you to think that there is solution coming from anywhere else. And I don't want you to think that engaging in it as a social matter is going to bring a solution. Hmm? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, isn't it? But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And our battles are to be fought on our knees. And i'm not talking first of all about the grand issues but about your own personal life your personal experience the battles that you face as an individual you are to win those battles on your knees and if god's promises are not true then let's close our bibles and go home there's no point to it Hmm? if it is not true that if we ask god He can give us the Gentiles for our inheritance. If it is not true that as a church here, and we begin to pursue it and ask God that we can conquer this area, there's no point to it. There's no point to it. But I think it is true. And that's the reason we are here. That if we do the work, if we take God at his word, that we experience the promises he has made to us again i'm insisting that first of all it's in your own personal life and i believe probably some of you are agitated and that is exactly what i want to do i want to trouble you Hmm? i want you to be troubled i want to if possible shake you from your position of ease if it is possible if i do that i think i would have succeeded I want you to be agitated there is no energy source however great it is that is not agitated that brings about a change do you know that huh you have to agitate it if you put gas here now it will remain here hmm? or if you will bring any source of heat then you will know that He can do something. And I'm praying that God will give you understanding. That we didn't come here just to be like every other person. That we came here because God was seeking for a means to influence the earth. That even though we became born again and became Christians, God kept us here because He was looking for a means. To influence the earth. God wanted to save all the millions of kids who are in the, under the influence of drugs. The young people who are confused, thinking that they are there in the wrong body. Hmm? God wanted to influence them. That is why he left you here. Hmm? That's why you are here. And if all the story you hear about these people doesn't trouble you, I want it to trouble you. I want it to trouble you. I want you to begin to go to God. You see, prayer is not learned. I've seen all sorts of funny things. They are teaching people how to pray. You see, if if I were to set you on fire now, let's say we bring gas and I pour it on you and set you on fire, will we define the parameters of your behavior when you're on fire? Do you think we'll do that? We we'll say, Oh, Mr. David we are going to set you on fire. What we want you to do is that as soon as you feel the pain, lift up your hands, scream. Is that what we do? We don't need to do all of that. As soon as you're on fire, you will behave according to the fire. That's how you'll behave. Nobody has to tell you how to pray. If there's a burden in your heart, you will pray. The reason we are not praying is because there is nothing prompting us to pray. There's no burden there. And the reason there's no burden is because we're at ease. We think that these things don't concern us. And I want to point some other reason why maybe in our personal life, we might be in the condition that we are. One of it is what I call an expectation that is dashed. A disappointed heart. Right? Can you imagine the disciples when they started with Christ? I mean, it was very, very great. You know, before Christ came, there were all this group of people, you know, doing all sort of things. And Christ came, suddenly Peter, James, all these brothers, they found their own champion. Oh, and they were the greatest. Even John the Baptist, in a few days, couldn't compare to Christ, right? In fact, they came and told John John the Baptist that the man you baptize is also baptizing and everybody is going to him. (laughs) You know, Suddenly, Peter saw that, oh, I'm no longer an ordinary fisherman. And together with this man that can feed thousands of people, hmm? this man that can open the eyes of the blind, raise, raise the dead—oh, they were champions! I—I I don't know whether you can imagine how they were feeling. Oh, they were so proud of their status that even when children were coming to Christ, they were stopping the children from coming. Say, <laughs> so, no, 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 don't come! No, I mean you have no share in this thing. This, this is—this is us. <laughs> This is us. Don't, don't bring your kids here. No, we don't like all these little, little people to come and be disturbing what we are doing. They had great expectations. One day, one or two of them, their mother came to Jesus and said, Grant, will you grant me anything I desire of you? Jesus said, Yes, it's okay. Grant that my sons, one will sit at your left and the other at your right at the resurrection. They were very protective of what they were doing. They saw a man casting out demons in the name of Jesus and they stopped him. <laughs> They said no, you don't do that. You are not one of us. Don't do that. And they came and told Christ. They experienced divine, the divine thing. They came to Christ one day and said look, even the demons, they are subject to us in your name. It was exciting. It was very exciting. Then suddenly, this Christ, who they thought, you know, if if you read, if you read the the story of these disciples on the way to Emmaus when they were talking to Christ, they say, we supposed. That it is he who should have delivered Israel. Hmm? Suddenly, this Christ that they thought was this great champion. Oh, remember the day he came into Jerusalem on that donkey. Even the the Pharisees, they were telling themselves that the whole world has gone after him. And to think that Peter and James and John were part of this movement. Then suddenly, you see Christ. This great champion of theirs, he wasn't only dying; he was weak in the hands of ordinary men. Ordinary men were pushing him here and there. Pilate, Pilate told him that, "Why you not answering me? Do you not know that I have the power? (laughs) The power. This is Christ, who walked through a lynched mob. They took him to the cliff, the the the, the edge of the cliff of their 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 village. Wanted to throw him off. He just turned and walked through their midst." Hmm? The same Christ Pilate is looking at him and said, do you, not have, do you not know I have the power to, 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 to set you free? And what do you think happened to the heart of the disciples? They were disappointed. All their expectation was dashed. One of the reasons in our own lives too is a personal disappointment, isn't it? Now I do not know what you were promised when you came to believe. Whether you were promised that Christianity will be a bed of roses or it to be an easy life and you are personally disappointed. Hmm? Whether you thought that everything would be at your beck and call, that there was no challenge whatsoever. And after being in the church experiencing all sorts of challenges, both in your own life, personally, and with folks. You know there are people who say that they've been hurt by the church. You know there are people like that? That they've been hurt by the church. And they are disappointed. So they stopped going to church. And their reason is that they were hurt by the church. So what do you mean? You didn't expect to be hurt? Is the church not made up of people? Are there not human beings there? So you would have experienced this personal disappointment. Just like the disciples did. They were personally disappointed, and so, what did they do? They say, well, <laughs> you know, before they went, they took this journey to the, to Emmaus. Peter himself, who was supposed to be their leader, Bible says one day he came to them and said, if you read the story, he simply said to them, "I go." This is King James language, "I go a fishing," right? Now, but you know what that meant is that well, you see, <laughs> this thing is finished. That's what he was saying. Uh, we followed him. We we taught all of these great things. Well, we experienced it while it lasted. Uh, but I have a family to care for. Um, I know that he was telling us how we are going to be fishers of men. <laughs> but as it is now, can any of you fish men? I can imagine them saying, "No." So well, let's go and fish what we can fish. Their heart was disappointed. And I know that there are several brethren. Christians who who have been disappointed in one way or the other. Some of them even by the clergy even by those you trust those you thought that oh these are men of God these are people who should at least to an extent should be beyond reproach they were the ones that disappointed you Hmm? you hear stories stories you know of preachers were molesting kids in their church. So-called preachers. Of pastors who are involved in all sorts of assaults here and there. And you are disappointed, isn't it? You come to a place where you thought that people would preach what is relevant to your soul or what they call Christian television. All they are looking for is money. Money. I don't know when last I watched Christian television. I can't remember. It's a very, very long time ago. Huh? But then, when those days when I used to see it, you see, they see the man of God is praying for you, and then there is a line to be texting, to be, uh, uh, you know, you have your credit card to be sending him money. Hmm? People who are they who claim to be preachers who were given, who go to Jerusalem and say this is they found um, mustard seed. Mustard seed, you know, because the Bible says if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, and they are distributing mustard seeds to their congregation and asking them to swallow it, as if that is going to do anything. Preachers who have become uh, traders, merchandising, they go and buy some—I don't know what it is—the shawl. It says from Jerusalem. Now like you need to have this shawl if you want to pray. See, how does Shua help you to pray? How does he help you to pray? Organizing all sorts of um, um, what do you call this thing that they do on the sea? You know, all sorts of things on the sea and concerts, as if to say that is going to help the brethren. And some people engaged in that, they've been disappointed. I was looking at a 60 Minutes documentary recently about a big, very, very big church. Some of you will know, so I won't mention the name. I mean, boys it's there on YouTube, you can see. A very big church in Australia. Hmm? How they are so called worship leaders and all their pastors and all of that. They are so big, they have a university. And when students come to the universities, the leaders, the pastors, those who are supposed to be the shepherds, they are sexually assaulting the kids. You know and even though it wasn't directly to you when you listen to those stories you are disappointed isn't it you are disappointed your expectation is dashed and so the same thing happened to these disciples they were disappointed the christ whom they taught and maybe we should look at that place again what they said Luke chapter twenty four verse eleven. Let's look at the. uh, Let let me read the comment of those those people going to Emmaus again. He said, "And certain of us." Okay, verse twenty one. He says, "But we trusted that it had been He." we should have redeemed Israel. Can you see their disappointment now? We trusted that it should have been he who should have redeemed Israel. And beside all of this, there are all sorts of stories, you know, on the third day. In fact, one woman went there and said she found the body. In fact, some of us also went there. I mean, all sorts of stories we really don't understand. But we we, we we actually trusted. What was it you trusted God for? your own life that you are disappointed about? Hmm? What was it that you hoped for? What was your expectation that didn't come to fruition? That seemed that God, you know, didn't do what you thought he was going to do. But you see, in reality, in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let me look. Let me let me read that, please. Let me not Just, Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what man, for what is a man advantaged? If he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. That's our reality, isn't it? He didn't promise us some of the things that you are feeling disappointed about. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, looking on to Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set ahead of him he endured the cross he despised the shame and now what has happened to him that god has set him up in glory and given him a name that is above every other name yes in our experience here we will come to points like the, the children of israel came to in the wilderness where there were the palm trees you know And then there were all the water bodies and all of that. We come to those points. We have those victories. But the the, the big picture is that it is a journey through the wilderness, isn't it? It is a journey through the wilderness. That there are challenges. That is the big picture. And therefore, let our hearts not be disappointed. Mm? John chapter 14, Jesus says that, Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, what happens? There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye might be also. Alright? So let not your heart be troubled let not your heart be troubled. Don't let the disappointment of the church, even the church, of your experience in the body, don't let it trouble your heart. Don't let the stories you hear bother you. Don't let the disappointment of the world, of your government, whatever side of the the issues you are, don't let it trouble your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Let not your heart be troubled. Okay. Now, the other issue is what I called a current guilt. A current guilt. Now, in this story in Luke chapter 24, you will see Peter. And we know that as part of the events that took place, culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the denial by Peter, isn't it? Peter denying Christ. And when the women came and said and told the story about how they've gone to the tomb and they didn't find Christ there, who was the first person to respond that You see, it was Peter. Bible says he ran there, I think it's verse 12, he then arose, Peter, and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Hmm? One reason why we we would have taken the journey, okay, to Emmaus is a guilt that we have not dealt with. Hmm? a guilt in our lives that we have not dealt with and peter needs to deal with this guilt the guilt of having denied christ and so he quickly ran quickly ran there i don't know what he was expecting i don't know whether any of you knew what peter was expecting they came and told him this story about how christ has resurrected or how they went there and they didn't see christ and he ran there he looked into the tomb he saw the linen clothes folded And he went back home. Hmm? Even Mary, if you look at this story in the book of John, even Mary, when she went to the tomb and she didn't find Christ, the Bible says she didn't go back. She stood there weeping and she found a man there. Supposing the man to be the gardener, she approached him and said, Sir, are you the one that has taken my Lord? Now, if it was you, please, could you give him to me? So I would take him home. And that has always interested me. Can you imagine Mary going through Jerusalem with a dead dead body on her head? I, I didn't know what she was thinking. But you see, that shows you the difference between someone who doesn't have a guilt he's dealing with. This is Peter, the head of the movement. He went to the tomb. He didn't see Christ. He went back home. But Mary stood there. You see, and you know that has staying there brought about a change, isn't it? I mean, there are all sorts of explanations that people give. I don't know all those fancy things, but I know that whatever Christ was doing, because Mary stayed back and wept, Christ came, isn't it, to attend to her. But Peter needed to deal with his. And that brings us to the question of sin. And I know that people don't like hearing about sin, but sin, sin is a limiter. You know, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And most times when people preach that, they make it seem as though we should all be comforted in the fact that all of us have sinned. No, they say, oh, no, 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 I mean, everybody is a sinner. I say, so what? If everybody goes to hell, it will make it any less hotter. Right? (laughs) The fact that we all agree and say, okay, let's all sin and go to hell, will it make hell any less terrible? You know, they say, oh, be be comforted. Everybody is a sinner. There's nobody who, oh, no, we are all in this together. I mean, it doesn't bring me any comfort that we are in it together. It doesn't. You know, people preach it as if to say you should be comforted that everybody is a sinner. No. Because there's the other side of the equation. It says, all have sinned and then come short of the glory of God. All right? So, and I don't know whether I've made this illustration here before. The way it is, is that... There is more like, let's say this is, this, is, this is a fruit. This is what you are supposed to attain to. And you are growing towards it. Sin always comes to cut your leg. So you never reach it. That's what it does. When I, when I was telling the story of this people, I, I saw on the, one of the shows I watch. You see? And then in the area where I live too, in Cokeville, just the streets, um, I don't know, west west to my side, there are people who do drugs there. and know sometimes when I'm coming back late in the night and all of that, I see them. I see what waste the devil has made of them. Hmm? I look at them and I know that I'm not in any way better than these people. I'm not. I mean, they are equally made in the image of God, just like myself, right? But you can see that these these folks, they will never become anything. This addiction will never allow them to become anything. Hmm? They are going on the street. They are just talking to themselves. Yesterday we saw one with my wife as he was driving. He would take some steps forward and take some steps backward. Just like that. His life is immense. That's what sin does. Some of them might be more, very much more intelligent than us who are here today. But we we'll never get to know. We we'll never get to know. And so if you have any issue of guilt in your own life, please don't be comforted in the fact that all have sinned. Don't let that comfort you. You deal with it. Hmm? Deal with it. Bible says if you start praying, and you remember that somebody has ought against you. What should you do? You go and settle with the person. Forget about his own part. You know, this thing that people say, "Oh, what about this?" This it doesn't it doesn't it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm the one who wants to pray, right? I mean, that the person did something is not the issue. Bible says, "Go and make it right." Don't allow guilt to continue. I have seen folks who claim to be Christians. And they are married for years, for years. And then you hear they want to divorce. I said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? How can you be a child of God, married for 12 years, then on the 13th year you are divorcing? What happened? <laughs> what happened? And then I go around Christian circles here. You will hear people, oh, this is as that, as that, as that. I say, why? Huh? Do you know the Bible says that you shouldn't let the sun go down on your anger? Huh? That your wife offended you is not part of that story. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your own anger. It is not an excuse that she offended you. Not. And it is this unresolved guilt that has created most of these things you are seeing. The divorce rates among so called Christians is astounding. And you might think it's something good, it is not. It makes us lose the potency of the scripture. Hmm? And I know it's difficult for me to say it, but like I said, I want to trouble you, right? Yes, it makes makes what we are preaching to be powerless. If the people of the world cannot live together, and Christians cannot live together, our gospel is useless.
2: Hmm?
0: I know you have all sort of explanation for it. You have all sort of explanation. You see, see, there are times that things don't work out among adults. (laughs) You are just academic. What do you mean things don't work out? Hmm? And it took you 13 years of being married to find that out. And they say, well, yes, you know, we are divorced, but we want to remain friends. (laughs) So if you want to remain friends, why not remain friends in the marriage? Why do you have to be divorced to remain friends? Hmm?
1: I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. But I have to tell you the truth. It is not a good testimony, the divorce rate among the children of God. It's not a good testimony at all. As a matter of fact, some of you might not realize it, but we really don't have a message. We don't have a message. And that is why the people of the world look at us and they are wondering, I mean, what's the difference between me and him? How can you claim that you have Christ in your heart? Who's the Bible says Christ? Paul Paul talking says that 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 we we are constrained by the love of God. Hmm? And two of you claim that you have experienced the love of God and you cannot live together. And you have a theory to explain it. No, I don't. I will never understand that. I will never understand that. unresolved resolve guilt. If we have done what we should have done, if we didn't let the sun go down on our anger, if we had said sorry, if we have tried to always resolve the guilt, we won't get to where we are. We won't get to where we are. So Peter carried his own. Hmm? And you see, this Mary is not any better than Peter. It was from her that Jesus casted out seven demons, isn't it? She's not any better, but she just resolved it. Look at Saul. Look at David. Saul, Saul was, what did Saul do? Bible said, God said to him, go and destroy the Amalekites. He said, yes, sir. He went and became arrogant somewhere, right? Like all politicians do. And he refused to destroy everybody, right? He saw somebody whatever he was looking for alliances whatever he was looking for he didn't kill him and then someone came to him and said what is it you have done what should he have done i'm sorry i'm sorry i did wrong actually i got arrogant see if you look at it seriously this is what i was thinking but i'm sorry right what did Saul do he said he told someone he said look honor me before the people that was his time for it wasn't even what he did Compared to David, David did worse. I hope you know that the lady David slept with was his granddaughter. It was his granddaughter's age. Ahitophel, who was David's counselor, was the grand. He, he was the, related to the grandfather of Uriah, who was the wife of Bathsheba. Right. In fact, that was the gross that Ahitophel has against David. That was that's why part of the reason he joined the rebellion. Okay, now, so that was how terrible, not only did he sleep with that woman, he killed the husband. And not only did he kill the husband, if he had killed the husband by himself, it was different. He used the hands of the enemies of God to kill that man. Hmm? And so, Nathan showed up and said, this is what you have done. Did David seek honor? He did not. He was in his palace. Bible says, he fell on his knees in repentance. And that was what made the difference between David and Saul. He resolved that guilt. Hmm? He resolved it. Don't let sin linger in your life. Don't let anger, don't let animosity, whatever it is, resolve it. Okay. Resolve whatever it is. David resolved his, Saul couldn't. And one day, God said to Saul, God speaking to someone and said, I have rejected Saul. And prayers cannot solve this matter. I have just rejected him. So let's resolve the issues of sin. Let's resolve the issues of addiction. Let's not excuse it. Let's not excuse it. I know that in this place, people like giving statistics. I know sometimes when I'm driving, I listen to this uh, King of Kings radio. They give a lot of statistics. You know, they say they are doing all this. Is it pure research they call it? <laughs> you know, I so say, all these things are statistics, you know, that, oh, 25% of youth say this, 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 35% of, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why they bother themselves with these things. Hmm? They say the church This is what the church says and I'm asking, who is the church? How many of you knows who the church is? Do you know the church? Nobody knows the church. I hope you know that. It's only God that knows the church. The church is not the people who are attending services. Hmm? But I digress. So resolve it. Resolve every issue. Don't allow it to don't don't bother yourself with all these statistics. Don't compare yourself with them so, okay, if twenty-five percent of uh twenty-five percent of young uh, people in the church are addicted to pornography, well I'm doing well. Don't think like that. Don't think like that. Huh? Let don't get comfort in the twenty-five percent who are addicted to something that is evil. Because for you as an individual, that thing is going to make sure you don't enter God's glory for you. Okay? So resolve it. The other thing I want to talk about, you know, one thing that I find very, very interesting and I love so much about each time I come here is that I actually don't have an idea what time is the closing time for service. (laughs) I actually don't, I have never asked. So it's comforting to me because I don't know whether we have overstayed now. And I don't know how much more I need to go. So I'll just keep going because really I don't have an idea. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's a good comfort. It's, it's one thing I'm going to comfort myself in, okay? All right. So that, thank God that is not seen, all right? And I will not ask. So in case you are thinking, ask for next time, I will not ask. <laughs> it's something I want to remain perpetually ignorant about, okay? It's good for me. Again, like I said last time, I come from Cookville, so my time is always Cookville time. So even if you think, oh, look at your wristwatch, when I see it now, it's Cookville time, I'll see. So I'm not in any hurry. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right, so the the other thing I want to talk about is religion. Religion. Hmm? Religion is just going through the motion. And in fact, when you look at, I, I was very, very interested in the story that the, the people going to, the, the way to Emmaus, if you look at, they had a very, very classy story. Uh, let me read it for you again, chapter 24 from verse 15. In fact, when Jesus comforted them, you know, you know, they, they say to him, can you imagine it? And it came to pass that while they were, they communed together and reasoned. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were not open to know. And he said to them, what what manner of communication are these that you you, you have one to another? As they walked and are sad. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Can you imagine how he started that comment? Uh, Are you you a stranger here? You know, I mean, everybody knows these things. (laughs) You know, and they, they they told him, you know, that this is religion. You know, you know the facts. You know the way the service should go. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you are in the service and the organist goes out of key a little, you can sense it. Mm-hmm. But all of that knowing doesn't bring about a personal change. That's religion. Oh, and people people are very religious here. <laughs> Now, yesterday, again, as we went out to preach, I, I came across a man and, and I was asking him about his faith. He said, well, that he knows he's still a Christian because he still says the grace before meals. <laughs> Everybody says the grace before meals. Where I come from? You know, it's, it's a tradition. How does saying the grace before meals, if not because people have this sense of religion, how does saying the grace before meals make you a Christian. That he says the grace before meals and that, well, he used to go to church before, you know, but um, that he can't remember the last time he went. But he still feels good. And you see, that is what, that's the danger of religion. Religion is deceptive. Hmm? Religion is going through the motions, coming to church, doing the things you need to do are not concerned about, you know, your own personal obedience. Change occurring in your own life. You know, one of the things I've been concerned about in my life recently is, I keep sitting down and I say, okay, how much have I changed today? You know, did I change today? Is there a change in my life? Was I, did God instruct me about anything today? Why has God not instructed me? I mean, just personal life. Hmm? I know, for instance, that one of the things that is concerning me is my the time I spend on maybe news and documentary. Right? I know that I feel personally convicted about it. That I'm spending too much time. I'm wasting my time. You know? And if I'm changing, if I'm spending less time, I know like, at least there was a time i gave up all news you know but i know it's it's also not good to give up you need to be aware what's happening but i mean for some time no zero news Hmm? especially news from nigeria it's never positive anyway so (laughs) so so zero news Hmm? but at least i'm being personally convicted i'm i'm striving to change in that direction Hmm? because at the end of the day all news is a spin none of it is true it seems to me, all right. Well, you can listen to it anyway and form your own judgment. But all of it has a spin. All of it has a spin. So I keep wondering why do I spend hours? I know I don't. You know the thing is that I don't watch television, right? So it's not as if to say I sit down for one hour listening to news. But I saw. I I I used to go to YouTube to get my news. Okay, small small clips of news. You know, Tucker Carlson, uh, Daily Wire, I, I look at this, small, small news. Oh, this person said this, this person said this. When I add up the time, it's massive. But when I'm looking at just the 15 minutes, it's, oh, I mean, this is just 15 minutes. Okay. And I know that the, the Holy Spirit has been convicting me about it. You can't waste your time like this. Okay. So religion, religion makes you to just go through the motion there's no change you are just doing what you need to do you are giving offering you are coming to church and in the choir and you are not concerned whether there is a change in your own life and so this is the same thing that these men were doing here telling jesus giving him all the details and there were the sons of the prophets in the days of elijah when elijah was to be taken up and elijah was going with him they knew all the details do you remember that story They told him, oh, this man you are fooling is going to be taken away today. That's religion. Hmm? God. Religion is good and I'm, I'm not against, in fact, you cannot get further without religion. Religion regulates your life, okay? But religion is not the end. Religion is a means to an end. Okay? It's a means to an end. And like I said at the beginning, if you don't get that end, then the religion is not important. Now, in conclusion, so that I can have mercy on you, the Bible says that they came to the village where they were going. And Jesus did see if he was to go further. But they constrained him and said, come and stay with us. Because, I mean, the night is spent and all of that. Uh, and that he spend the night with them. And Verse 30 says, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And for me, this is the point of change. This is the point I'm praying to come to. Their eyes were opened. Hmm? Their eyes were opened. And this is the matter of prayer. And for you to see that it is no longer a case of religion, the Bible says, and I don't know, I was going to look at the distance because the King James gave the distance in four long. I wanted to find exactly what the mileage is. But the immediate moment that their eyes were opened, what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem. Must have been late in the night. Didn't stop them. Something has happened to them something has happened to them that same moment they turned back and started coming and you think they went to Emmaus without plans they had plans right they wanted to go and do something and I didn't think they were going to stay for a day but immediately their eyes were opened whatever it is they were pursuing they abandoned it immediately and returned to Jerusalem it shows you a people who have come to this point that we are looking at They have no longer settled for religion. They are no longer disappointed. Whatever disappointment they had when they were telling Jesus that we suppose that it was he. You see, they are no longer disappointed. They've seen him. Okay? They are no longer just settling for um, any guilt they had. They are now going back to Jerusalem. And you remember that several days later, the Holy Spirit came. And these brothers must have been there. I'm very sure they were there. When that church started, that influenced the world, that brought us here, they were there. They would have missed it. They would have missed it. And this is where I talked about the commitment of Christ to us. You see, some people And also yesterday, when I went out, I was telling some of the people we met, I said, look, you are looking at us as if to see. In fact, one of the boys opened the door and said that he was waking from his bed, that he needs to go back to sleep. (laughs) He went back to sleep. But you see, you do not know that it is not easy for us to come and knock on your door. That although you see us, it was actually God reaching out to you. Isn't it? That we come to church, that the word of God comes to us, is the commitment of God to us. Hmm? This message this morning, it should have been easier for me to make you happy. Hmm? It should have been easier for me to come and excite you. You know, and just make you happy and say, oh, you are fantastic. The more difficult one Is the commitment of God to you. Mm? God is committed to you, right? He will do everything especially telling you the truth Mm? to make sure that you experience all that he has promised you. To make sure that our lives, I mean, We might not be the great... In fact, I remember when I was in college, I used to be very ambitious then. I thought I was smart, so I was going to study physics because I thought I was smart. And so I told myself I was going to be a world-renowned physicist. Probably maybe get a Nobel Prize. You know, I had those dreams. Then one day, (laughs) I was reading the Bible. The Bible says that uh, beloved now are we children of God the reason the world doesn't know us is because the world does not know him Hmm? that was the end of that ambition you know why I believe God was giving me an understanding you see as it is now if you go to my village and I don't know whether I've given this example here before you go to my village and tell my uncle about the daughter of Bill Gates who just married yesterday right He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Because he doesn't know who Bill Gates is. But if you tell him about the daughter of my own state governor, who is nothing compared to Bill Gates, he might be excited. Right? He might think, Wow, I'm going to visit with the daughter of my state governor. Right? Now, my state governor is nowhere close to Bill Gates. But he doesn't care about the daughter of Bill Gates. Because he doesn't know her father. Now, I understood then that no matter what I achieve, the world might not give me the honor I deserve unless I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Hmm? He says, now are we children of God. If they knew who God was, you know that we, we are the ones who should be celebrated, right? We are the ones who should be going everywhere with SSS, protecting us. I hope you know that. With all these sirens blaring, you know, secret service pushing people around. You know, we are the ones who should be like that. If they knew who our father was. But they don't. They don't. So, I cease to pursue that. But I know, the Bible says, when he appears, we shall be like him. Right? Because we shall see him as he is. So, I have a hope that transcends this place. And as we pray, I will want to encourage you. There are promises that have been made for your personal victory. Hmm? For the impact of the church in your environment, in the world. When we go to buy these products called salvation, it had guarantees. Hmm? It had guarantees. And I'm using an illustration. I know we didn't pay for it. It had guarantees. If we didn't get what we were guaranteed, we should return it. Hmm? Ninety days return policy. (laughs) We should return it. But I know that those guarantees are there. If not for anyone, for your personal experience. Hmm? Let us pray. Our Lord, we are very grateful to you for your presence with us. We thank you because of the Holy Spirit that will expound these words to our heart and grant us clarity. Uh, we know that by strength shall no man prevail. So Lord, we apply to you today for strength, for grace, that wherever we are at, Lord, we will not remain there. That we begin to stir our hearts to move, O oh God, that the issues that have plagued us for long, that seems unresolvable, that, Lord, you will cause us to begin to to bring these issues to the fore, to seek a resol- a resolution because you promised us. Whatever it is, Lord, we pray that we'll begin to experience victories in our life, that will not just be religious, we'll be people, oh God, who indeed we are salt to the world, we are light to the world. Anywhere we go, we carry the aroma of Christ. And Lord, we trust you for this church, for your purpose for it, for your future for it. And Lord, we continue to hold on to you, Lord, that you will bring to pass, O God, that which you have intended. And you will help us, O God, to align our heart with whatever it is that is your will. And so we thank you, Lord, for being in our midst and for helping us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.